The times, they are a-changing. Could this be the decade of integrative medicine going mainstream? Join me, Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and my guest, Dr. Brian Berman, at the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Dr. Berman is a professor of family medicine and director of the Center for Integrative Medicine at the University of Maryland Medical Center in Baltimore, Maryland. Currently, he is the principal investigator of two NIH-designated centers for the study of traditional Chinese medicine. He was the first chair of the Consortium of Academic Health Centers for Integrative Medicine and served on the Institute of Medicine panel on complementary medicine. Dr. Berman co-founded and coordinates the complementary medicine field within the Cochrane Collaboration. Today, we're discussing developing the evidence base of complementary alternative medicine and integrating it into daily practice. Hi, Dr. Berman. I appreciate you taking the time to join us at the Clinician's Roundtable. Thanks very much. I'm glad to be here. What can be more mainstream than an academic medical center? Dr. Berman, you were the first chair of the Consortium of Academic Health Centers for Integrative Medicine, which is composed of 29 North American universities. When and how did this group get formed? The Consortium of Academic Health Centers for Integrative Medicine first started to get together as a small group of people from six universities, and then it became seven universities back in 2000. It became more formalized in 2001, and it was really the brainchild of a fellow at the University of Massachusetts at the time, John Kabat-Zinn, who said, you know, started to realize that a number of universities were starting to do some serious work in the field of, I think back then, complementary alternative medicine, and really, what could we do collectively? How could we support each other? How could we get, you know, the deans and the presidents to understand what this was all about? And so we started to have some meetings. It's actually grown to now we have 41. We said mm-hmm. back then, I remember when we were meeting at the Setzer Institute in Kalamazoo, Michigan, we were having our first meeting and at night, and we said, you know, wouldn't it be amazing? We really know what this is on the way, when if we could get about a third of the medical schools in the country to be involved with this. And just recently, we accepted the 41st university as part of this. 41 universities gives you about how many members? I assume there's more than one representative per school? Yeah, there's generally three or four members per school. So I don't know, that's, you know, 150 or, or so people involved with it right now. And they, you know, they're focusing on all areas, but particularly, you know, one was to just get a definition of what integrated medicine was about. Because, you know, really, it was not about, you know, an alternative therapy. It was really kind of coming up with the idea that it was just about good whole person care, in a way, the essence of an approach to care that was like a holistic approach. One of the most important parts was about the relationship between the doctor and the patient, and that we looked at, you know, the whole person and then used, based on evidence, whatever therapies were the most appropriate to use to optimize health and healing. So one part was just to get a definition, and then they started to work together on educational activities, because everybody in the academic centers was certainly going to be involved with education and trying to move things forward and published in a couple of things. One was in academic medicine, you know, the journal from the American Association of Medical Colleges. Yes. October of seven was an issue that was mainly devoted to curricula and integrative medicine in some of the medical schools that the NIH had supported some of their efforts and their experiences and, you know, what they were doing. And also, I think it was 2005 in the same journal, academic medicine, 
also publish from the group, you know, what would be some of the curriculum, you know, what would be some of the key ingredients to have if people were wanting to include this in the school. Everybody's going to do it differently. What might be, say, the five key elements to a curriculum in complementary medicine? Or if you just wanted to begin to expose people to it, and you said, you know, here are, you know, some take-home points, we've got to have this in our system sure. in school. Well, certainly one is, is more of an overview, you know, of some of the different therapies, so people could have a better understanding of what you mean by mind-body medicine or traditional Chinese medicine or Ayurvedic medicine, just, you know, on the therapy side. That was certainly one part. So there was more about the knowledge, but probably the bigger shift was really about the sort of mind-body skills and teaching to the students ways that they could be more in touch with who they were, that that was one of the key elements. And, you know, we all talk about, well, in the curriculum now, the core competencies, we want it to be things like, besides, you know, having your knowledge and skills base, but who is the doctor? Who are we really training? And how do you do that? You know, how do you build in altruism or empathy and listening? And you don't do it by a PowerPoint presentation. You do it by some of the tools, I think, that integrative medicine have to offer, like mindfulness meditation or yoga or from the self-reflective practices or breathing, things like that. So there's a real opportunity there to sort of make a shift in the medical education. We kind of think, why would we even do it? Why incorporate any of this? You know, and, and what we know from the research is more than 50% of people in our country are using some form of complementary alternative medicine from the research. And yet a very small percent are actually telling their doctors this is what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, the numbers using it are tremendous. I saw something not too long ago about, it's about somewhere between the third and fourth year of medical school that medical students are losing their ability to empathize with their patients. That was horrifying to me. Are you currently using a curriculum in complementary medicine or integrative medicine at the University of Maryland? We are. We introduced this, you know, when we got started. We started our center back in 1991. So we've been experimenting and trying to progress in, in different ways. So we have quite a number of hours in the core medical school education, and we also have a one-month elective for those in the fourth year who want to go into it in a little more in a little more depth. You know, but we're really just, in some ways, just scratching the surface. What's that study that said that you know we as physicians, you know, in primary care, we wait I think 18 seconds before we interrupt, you yes. know, and then I think over a few years later, they redid that survey and they found it was now 22 seconds. So we're improving. We're improving. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to welcome those who are just joining us at the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and I'm speaking with Dr. Brian Berman from the University of Maryland Medical Center. We're discussing CAM, integrative medicine, and mainstream American medicine for the next decade. The curriculum, did they get any practical experience? I mean, do you let them get acupunctured or do you train meditation? Do you give them real? We do. We think that, you know, and that was part of just the learning. In the beginning, we were more didactic. And we, we also, because we, you know, do a lot with literature synthesis and critical appraisal, we teach them, you know, ways that they can find the literature themselves. And that's not so easy in this field. I mean, I, I don't know if you're we're aware. We didn't have a lot of the mesh terms or the search terms until like the mid-90s. And in the early days when we got started, you know, you wanted to plug in to see, okay, what's out on Medline? You would type in, let's say, complementary medicine, nothing would show up. Integrated medicine, nothing would show up. Alternative medicine, nothing would show up. 
what you had to type in was therapeutic cults. Therapeutic cults? <laughs> That's what it was listed as. Oh. <laughs> so we've gone a long ways, you know, in the Cochrane database is over yeah. 10,000 trials. And we, we try to teach the students how to fish for themselves, how to, you know, really find the information themselves. But we also, you know, do we do teach them about, you know, breathing techniques, let them experience that and meditation, mindfulness meditation. And, you know, that's what they're interested in more than anything is to actually see and feel and touch. And so we, we do a little bit of that. You work with the Cochrane Collaboration. When I looked on your website, there are over 200 reviews, it looked like, that are in the Cochrane database at this point. That's right. And in CAM. In CAM, right. Are there any practical pointers or audiences, primarily primary care physicians? And if I wanted to take an evidence-based approach and tell my patients, you know, for some specific conditions, here are things that there's evidence for. I feel I can endorse this. Go home and do it. Right. There are actually, you know, quite a few. Like big problems. I mean, headache is probably a huge problem. Irritable bowel syndrome I can think of and maybe pain. Are there a couple of recommendations you can make in those areas? Sure. Well, with headaches, there are some systematic reviews showing evidence for acupuncture for chronic headaches. Any experience with feverfew? Feverfew? I'm not sure if feverfew in itself, you know, was a systematic review, you know, but certainly plenty of others. You know, back pain, there's a systematic review showing some benefits from manipulation, from massage, for acupuncture, for TENS, you know, a bunch there with that, you know, glucosamine, chondroitin sulfate for osteoarthritis, some of the herbal medicines for things like dysmenorrhea, as well as devil's claw for arthritis, you know, salt palmetto for prostate hypertrophy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so there's, there's actually more evidence and people can go to the website. They can, you know, look at it themselves because it's actually surprising how much evidence there is. And we we did a study years ago where we looked at, in the Cochrane database, and we looked at systematic reviews of conventional medicine that was in there. (laughs) Okay. And we kind of said, okay, what conclusions could we make? And we saw a positive effect in about one quarter of the reviews, possible effect in about another 12%, and then (laughs) insufficient inconclusive evidence in over half of the reviews. And that's considered mainstream medicine. This is the mainstream medicine. And we looked at it. We haven't done the same thing for complementary medicine, but I'll bet we'll find fairly similar sort of statistics. Medicine is, a lot of it is an art. We talk about evidence-based medicine, we, you know, and evidence-based practice. We maybe should be talking about practice-based evidence. So it's really relevant to our clinical situations, but, you know, it's an evolving field. I find Jerome Groupman, I don't know if you're familiar with him, Dr. Groupman, yeah. in his recent book, he has a statement that a doctor will frequently tell a patient, well, there's no evidence of disease, but that doesn't mean that there's evidence of no disease. Right. And, you know, that's a big difference. It's a big shift. That's right. And the fact that they just figured out that if you witness somebody having a cardiac arrest, that you don't breathe for them, just pump. And right. How many years has, quote, the evidence been breathe and pump, breathe and pump? So... It's evolving. Yes. It's evolving. And we shouldn't think that it's like rigid, this is fixed once and for all, we know everything. We should be you know, keeping at it. What we do know in this field of complementary medicine, integrated medicine, that there are many people using it all the time. And you know, we should try to educate ourselves as physicians to know as much as possible with time, you know, what's the latest evidence, but realize that it's an evolving field. In our overall, there's over 700 
meta-analysis, systematic reviews. Each one may have like 10 randomized controlled trials. And that's just one part of evidence. You know, there's certainly lots of other evidence that always takes into account when you're looking at, does something work? We have just a little bit of time left. You'd mentioned that the Cochrane database was available through your website. Could you give us the website address and tell the audience how they would be able to access the database? Yeah, sure. They would just go to uh, www.compmed, C-O-M-P-M-E-D.U-M-M, that's University of Maryland Medicine, dot E-D-U. And then once you get there, you'll see the, you know, the face page and that'll, you'll see a little thing for Cochrane. And you can go right to that and then you can get into some of the information there. I'd like to thank Dr. Brian Berman, who's been my guest, and we've been discussing making complementary alternative medicine mainstream. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions. Please visit us at reachmd.com and explore our on-demand and podcast features, which gives you access to our entire program library. Until next time, I wish you good day and good health.